The Book Nook on WYSO is presented by the Greene County Public Library, with additional support from Clark County Public Library, Dayton Metro Library, Tip City Public Library, Washington Centerville Public Library, and Wright Memorial Public Library. Good morning. Welcome to the Best of the Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis. We're going to go into our archive on this special Christmas Eve edition of the program to pull out an interview I did with a gentleman named Martin Murray. It was recorded back in 2001. I got to know Martin a little bit because uh, his daughter, one of his daughters, is a friend of mine, and he had self-published a book called Bert's Way. And I love this interview and his voice. And, and just what an amazing personality he had. This is the late Martin Murray on the Book Nook. Well, I'm Vic McCunis, and it's my pleasure to welcome back to the program today Martin Murray. He's got a new book out called Burt's Way, A North Country Mystery. And uh, this is a return to Yellow Springs for Martin. Uh, Martin, didn't you used to teach at Antioch College? Oh, yes. I was here uh, from 61 to 75, and it was a great era in Antioch's history. It was a wonderful adventure, but Allison and I just uh, got this back to the land urge and moved to northern New York. Now, reading uh, your uh, your biography, your mini biography on the back of this book, uh, it looks like you've done a lot of things in your life. Well, I'm old enough to have uh, done a few things, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I grew up in Wyoming and then uh, went to World War II and then Reed College and then University of California and so on. Finally ended up at Antioch just by a fluke and I've been grateful ever since. <laughs> Tell us about your parents. Well, my father uh, was one of those early naturalists, traveled in the uh, northern regions, both the eastern Arctic and western Arctic. And uh, it was a, uh, then he, he met my mother in Alaska, and it was a very romantic affair. They went off dog team mushing on the honeymoon and so on. Yeah, that was, that's where they started. Ended up in uh, Wyoming uh, as a Bureau of Biological Survey biologist. So that's where the, our family that's our home stamping grounds in Wyoming. Now, uh, I understand that your mother was quite a writer. Yes, she's a good writer. She wrote, uh, she co-wrote with my father, Olus, the Wapiti Wilderness. That's their adventures in Wyoming. And then the uh, two in the far north about the adventures in Alaska, yeah. So you come uh, with quite a lineage in, in writing. Did, did you... Uh, learn any writing from your folks? Well, I can remember uh, my mother reading Louisa May Alcott, Little Women, to us kids. And you remember in that novel, uh, the elder daughter gets urged to write, and she gets out some paper, and she starts writing longhand, and that just some, I don't know why, I've always remembered that was a magic moment, and I wanted to do the same thing. <laughs> well, 
What's your earliest memory of, of your parents? Were you out on the road? Well, some of the earliest uh, memories are just traveling on the road, yeah. My, my father was sent to many places uh, in Canada, western states, uh, and uh, so we were just tagging along a lot. How did you get the idea for, for this plot? Clearly this uh, is a reflection of, of reality. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's based on a historical series. Uh, just a little while before we moved up there in the 70s, there was a, uh, the beginning of a humongous uh, power line, 765,000 uh volt line, that's about as big as they come, coming with hydropower from the damming of huge rivers up in uh, Labrador and around uh, James Bay and Hudson Bay. So it was not only huge, but it was, uh, it was a, really a bad thing to do, to send power down to power wasteful uh, New Yorkers flooding the homelands of the Cree Indian nation and uh, then invading uh, farmlands down on the way to, uh, to New York City. Well, there were protests up near the border there before we ever arrived, but we talked to people who'd been in on those, people tying themselves to trees. And then a little bit later, as the line approached Utica further south in New York State, there was some monkey ranching, trashing of bulldozers and so on. So by that time, I was riding Bert's Way. So I went down to Utica in that area and talked to people and found out what I could. And But, of course, this is pure fiction, but it does have this historical background. You uh, use the word terrorism in the book. Now, obviously, uh, you wrote this book uh, long before... Terrorism became such a common word and usage in our country. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, this book <laughs> began way back. It's had a long, it's been around. But actually, people, uh, the media and some government officials and corporation executives who were hard-pressed by the environmental movements uh, began to use the word terrorists for just about any kind of of direct action in the environmental struggle. The uh, environmental movement calls this sort of thing monkey wrenching. The media calls it terrorism. So in the book, I freely use the word terrorists uh, to describe these folks. Bert, where'd you get this guy? Where'd he come from? Well, uh, one of my favorite uh, classmates in Jackson happened to be named Bert, and he uh, spells it with a U. Uh, I just, I don't know, I like the name. So it's the name of an ordinary North Country person. It's a high school education, as he says, sort of self-deprecatingly, uh, I barely squeaked through high school. But actually, he's um, in his, he's, He's pretty sharp, really. Um, well, he likes to investigate. He, he's an investigator. Well, you see, 
he is a uh, a man without a family. His family uh, broke up. He's a recovering alcoholic. The uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous plays a big role in this novel. Uh, unemployed, uh, lives in just a, a little room in a, up under the attic in this old gingerbread mansion in the uh, town of Tyrone. So he's really got nothing. But he somehow or other, he's uh, has gotten in the habit of being a troubleshooter. People know that he's somebody who's sort of free to go around and look into things and try and help them out of a bad spot. Sometimes he does it for pay and sometimes not. So he's a sort of marginal character. <laughs> We're hearing Bert's voice. And Bert is an eccentric character. And just the way that you write, the way that you speak in his voice, was so right on. I mean, that, that is one of the funnest parts of the book for me, was just to see his perspective on things. Well, I, uh, that's nice to hear, because what I'm really trying to do here is not just have a, a uh, saga of environmental activism, but to show character, you know. And I like Bert to be a real... North Country person. Well, he's kind of conservative, and I imagine up in that part that's of the world, right. people that, are probably pretty conservative up there. That's right. And uh, and he's proud of it. <laughs> yeah, and he's proud of it. Yeah. And somehow he gets mixed up with this bunch of people, and yeah. he listens to what they're saying, and some of it kind of takes root, doesn't it? Well, I think they they influence each other, and he's kind of surprised at this, you know. <laughs> He can't believe that he could be mixed up with a bunch of hippies or terrorists. He doesn't approve of what they're doing, but he gets acquainted with them on a personal level. Now, Martin, you must have been somewhat um, taken aback when you came to Yellow Springs and found out that there was all this excitement about a tree. Yes, I can remember being upset about that Colorado blue spruce. Is that the one? The Osage orange trees. Oh, that's the more recent one. I'm uh -huh. thinking way back when... Uh, the one over by the winds? Uh, it was over on the yeah, corner? Yeah, that's, uh -huh. that's right. Okay. That's right. That caused quite a furor, too, actually, even though that was an exotic species brought from the West and planted here. But yeah, I was sad to see that tree go down. Uh it's one of the first things that I saw when I came here to be interviewed for this job. I had no idea I could possibly get it, but uh, Ed Samuel in, uh, in the biology department just turned me loose the first night and let me wander around look at the place by myself. And that trail tavern with that tree and the old dovetail notching of those logs, that was... Just one of my big impressions, I began to think, gee, I'd kind of like to move to this place. Um, but um, these, these things happen, and uh, it's good to try to prevent them being done. But we have to uh, accept the fact that we also live in this in this ecosystem, and we're part of it. 
I think it was wrong to take a tree down because it was. I don't think it was necessary. Uh-huh. <laughs> but well, the reason why I brought it up, obviously, Martin, our listeners are probably going, "What's the connection?" Um, a tree really plays a central role in your book. That's right. Uh, that tree. Um, it's a very special tree, and like you say, it's central to this whole thing. The people who uh, have discovered this old red oak growing in an abandoned field, uh, collectively they know, they agree together that something's happening there. And, uh, but when they try to talk about it, you'll notice, they can't quite figure out what it is because each one of them has this little different experience at the tree. So I'm just trying to open up the subject for the reader. <laughs> yeah, and, and you do. You really do. The book is Burt's Way, written by Martin Murray. I'm an environmentalist, and the things are really bad, and we've got to have people getting together regardless of what their various personal opinions are of each other, you know. We've got to have a much bigger movement instead of these exclusive little environmental cliques, you know. I could go on and on. (laughs) (laughs) And he could. Now, let's switch to a a kinder, gentler subject. Maybe just as tough, but kinder and gentler, self-publishing. Ah, yes. Well, I just speak for uh, the experience that Elson and I went through this uh, book that was going to be my second book, you know, that I mentioned to you before, set in Medicine Bow, Wyoming. This is now, as we talk, going into its third year of delay after acceptance by the publisher. So Allison and I just finally, we said, hey, uh, let's take this one. and not, We're not going to wait for this one. To heck with it. We'll just set up our own. So, so Bert's way. So Allison and I are pack rat books. Okay. And we d- we designed uh, the cover. We designed the, the back, the front, the spine, the uh, drawing. Uh, Allison did all the font research, selecting the right fonts, the uh, formatting, the the size of you know all this internal stuff here, and. Uh, so that way we cut our costs, and we had a lot of fun, too, and a lot of arguments also along the way. But we're quite pleased with it, and uh, we have another one coming out next month. Just got handed all this stuff to a local printer, and, and he and his family have this local, wonderful local press there, and they have a history of their second generation, at least, of printers. They know the they know printing from A to Z, so we're really lucky there. Now, you've been on, on kind of a, a little book tour up in, in that part of the woods. Uh, what's that been like for you? Oh, that's, See, once we got this thing printed, it came out in May of this year. Then we had to sell the darn thing. And um, so that was another whole revelation that uh, it's very hard for self-publishers to get any... Uh, uh, I mean, this 
what you're doing right now is unique. It's hard to get radio stations, newspapers, let alone TV, to mention self-publishers. And I don't even try to get this book in the chains. Uh-huh. Where we've been selling this is in uh, country stores, uh, general stores, even uh, pharmacies, and the few remaining independent bookstores up there. So you just walk in with a handful of books and you say, hey, here's the new book. I come in, I say, uh, I shove it out, you know, and I say, this is a North Country mystery by a local author. <laughs> And so that's the way they've been selling, and uh, I really believe self-publishing is one of the ways that writers have to go now in such a turmoil in the publishing world. Sure. You know? Well, I really enjoyed the book, Martin, and I'm not just saying that because you're here. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I I read it all the way through, and I thought it, it really told a great story. Plus, you're hitting on a lot of issues that I think many people are thinking about right now. Just trying to open them up for thinking, that's right. Now, reading your bio here, I'm wondering about some of these jobs. Uh, Park ranger, now where was that? Oh, I was just a 90-day wonder uh, in Teton National Park one summer. How fun. And uh, that's... um, Now, how old were you when you did that? Well, it was just after the war. World War II? So, yeah, World War II. See, I'm of an age where I... uh, Go way back. To, uh, now, so, so I must have been about 23 or something like that. Okay. And, and it says you were in the infantry in World War II. Was, now, was that European theater? Yeah, it was 10th Mountain Division. Were you in Italy then? That's right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, more mountain things. The mountains have been in my life all the time, I guess. The... Uh, Tenth Mountain has been reconstituted. It's now some of its units, I guess, are over in Asia now. Hmm. And it also says that you were a lab technician. Now, I know that that's a story. Yeah, that is. Uh, (laughs) That that was lab work of a special kind. Uh, I was looking for a job. Uh, Allison said, you know, we're running out of money, and if you're you can't just keep going to graduate school. So I went out and looked for a job. And it just so happened that this biological supply company in Berkeley, California, was looking for somebody to train as a lab technician to, uh, well, what we did was uh, take uh, little uh, salamanders and frogs, cats, sharks, rats, and uh, preserve them and usually inject the circulatory systems with red and blue latex. So this would be for classrooms? For classroom work, yeah. Okay. I can remember as a kid uh, being fascinated by a store in downtown Des Moines that had a whole variety of these and going in and looking at them and going, ooh. Yeah. How did you feel? Was it that way? I didn't like it. Yeah. No, it bothered me a lot. Well, it, it bothers me in retrospect because I, I've got this feeling about the way biology w- was taught at the time that I was a teacher, and I think it was, uh, there was a wrong turn there. From the time of Huxley, 
back in Darwin's day. The idea was hands-on. That's Thomas Huxley? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dar- Alvis's Dar- dad or grandpa? Uh, it was Darwin's bulldog. Okay. That one. Okay. And uh, he, you know, he created a revolution in teaching at the college level uh, by insisting that his students dissect animals all the way from, you know, little invertebrates on up through to vertebrates. And the sharks, for example, one of the big, big items there. And uh, I feel that um, there's been too much emphasis on the hands-on. I think the hands-on experience should be something that a student earns. And especially when you get into the area of of working on live animals or anesthetized animals. So um, then the student really has to kind of know something about biology, something about life, the way things are put together, the way you handle a needle, a syringe, a scalpel, before they earn the right to do that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Which leads me to ask, uh, Martin, I've read Losing Solitude, now I've read Burt's Way, you have a story called Windswept. What's that about? That's the one that's based in um, Medicine Bow, Wyoming, and uh, we hope it gets back from Hong Kong eventually. So that's the one that's lost in, in the press. Yeah, that's the one that's lost. And that one is, uh, of course, it's also environmental. Yeah, it says here, the story of a brilliant young scientist who absconds with her research results to prevent their misuse by her corporate boss. That's right. But then uh, when she gets out, she is, uh, runs off to Medicine Bow because it's a town nobody ever heard of or unless they've read the Virginian, um, and just holds up there because she uh, disapproves of the use of the pharmaceutical product that she helped develop. So you're a bit of a rabble-rouser, aren't you? No, I'm not a rabble-rouser, but I, I'm with the rabble. <laughs> I should say, uh, I, I just have to say that bird watchers come into this windswept story quite a lot. and that the, I think of the bird watchers as uh, making up most of the heroes, if there are any, in that novel. I so, love that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I, bird watchers, there are so many bird watchers, and yet they're sort of anonymous. We, we don't really think of them at all. So they're they're heroic bird watchers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if people do notice bird watchers, they just dismiss them as little old ladies in tennis shoes. And uh, so we got you know we're going to abolish that idea. When when I was in fifth grade, we had a nun in our parochial school who was obsessed with bird watching, and she was about four foot four, and of course. Out of her earshot, we used to call her Mighty Midget, which wasn't a very nice thing, but we were in fifth grade, and we didn't know any better. But she used to take us out into the woods, and she would play bird calls for us in class, and I just fell in love with it, and I've been in love with it ever since. Well, good. Then join the ranks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Martin, it's really a treat having you back on the program. It's great to be here. Thanks a lot, Vic. You've been listening to the best of the book nook on 91.3 WYSO, fact-based journalism in service of democracy. That was Martin Murray, recorded 22 years ago, talking about his novel, 
Bert's way. And I loved that conversation with Martin, and I hope you did too. And I've loved a lot of things this year, including a memoir by a guy named Don Patterson. It's called Toy Fights, A Boyhood. I had never heard of him. He's a very well-known poet in Scotland, not so well-known here. And I was looking at Twitter one day, and I saw the novelist Ian Rankin, who I admire tremendously, had published a photo of this book, and it made me curious to read it. And I did. And I want to read a little excerpt for you just to show you why I like it so much, okay? This is Don Patterson from his memoir. I generally like things that made me look clever, as I sensed they'd gained my mother's approval. But my appetite for appearing learned has always vastly outstripped that for actual learning, which only ever circled tightly around my obsessions, often in a way that skipped the rudiments in basic reading that bored me stiff. I insisted on a subscription to All About Science, a briefly popular science encyclopedia that came in weekly installments and would build to a magnificent shelf of blue, fake, Morocco-bound superior knowledge. I am still pretty good on anything between aardvark and absorption when my interest waned. Although my rigorous completism meant I insisted on my parents coughing up until its run was complete. My interest also waned because the publishers did. What had started as an informative and sincere project soon turned cursory and cynical. As soon as Orbis clocked that the part work model was an idiotic one for a kid's population. Kids don't join the series at Manatee Methane and purchase back copies. After D, the quality of the writing took a nosedive. Fonts were larger, articles briefer, the drawings silly, the projects childish and embarrassing, and the expensive binders successively crappier. When the series finally ground to a merciful halt after three years, the final undersized tome ran something like P to Z and had clearly been typed up by a single board hack. I opened the last volume years later. The final articles are pretty much, uh, Y is for you're not reading this anymore, are you? And Z is for I am drunk. Nonetheless, the possibility of at least appearing to be the repository of all terrestrial and cosmic knowledge intoxicated me. And one continues to furnish one's library to wow the important guests one neither invites nor desires. Even now, I am forever purchasing books on subjects I sincerely intend to make myself expert in, although... Who knows who I'm impressing? If I'd been Socrates, after I'd drunk the hemlock, I would have raised my flute, paused, and then had a look on Amazon for advanced intervallic studies for jazz flute. Don Patterson from his memoir, Toy Fights. And I absolutely loved this memoir. He talks about how he was an overweight kid in Scotland in a very poor family. And the title, you're probably wondering about the title, Toy Fights, A Boyhood. Well, the toy fights took place in this area of scrubland near where he lived. And the kids would get together late in the afternoon, and they would have what they called toy fights, which was an excuse to be very, very violent to one another in Scotland back in the 1960s. And he had a, a problem with sweets. His mother would always be giving him candies, and she made candies at home. He called them his svetches. And so he 
got rather rotund as a kid, and he had to have his sweeties. He just loved his candies, and there's a whole section in his memoir about all the various kinds, including one that was so unbelievably sweet that when you read his description of it, you almost feel like you need to have insulin. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's overwhelming. One of my favorite books of the year, the memoir by Don Patterson, it's called Toy Fights, A Boyhood. And once again, uh, Martin Murray, going back to 2001, talking about his memoir, Burt's Way, which was self-published. So if you're looking for that, you might have some trouble tracking it down, but it's worth reading. For the best of the book nook, I'm Vic McInnes. If you celebrate Christmas, have a good one.